You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Easter really has the power to either change your day or really to change your life. I believe when we really truly understand the message, the power, the significance of Easter, what it means, it really has the power to just radically transform and to change and to impact not just your day, but your whole life because it is a recognition, it is a celebration of the empty tomb. It is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ that gives us not just hope for today, but hope and strength for tomorrow and for all eternity. And the significance of Easter is not only found in the empty tomb, but it's also the significance, the power of what it does, what it accomplishes for us. This morning, I don't want to waste uh, any time. I want to try to get right to the point. It's like a rooster who was telling a bunch of hens how to lay an egg on the freeway. So if you're going to lay an egg on the freeway, here's how you do it. You lay it on the line and you do it in a hurry. So this morning, I'm going to lay it on the line and I'm going to do it in a hurry. But before I do that, uh, I just want to, again, just uh, draw attention to uh, our bands, our God's Got This Band. Bands uh, ordered uh, about a month ago, I don't think it's been a month, ordered about 1,100 of these, uh, thinking that we would have enough for probably, you know, three, four, maybe even five months, 1,100 of these went out in less than a month. As I was putting the last 200 in the basket, I kind of realized, I think I need to order more of these. Uh, So I put in another order, got them this week. They're out there. So I've ordered another 1,100. If those go quickly, we're going to have to probably up our quantity. But again, I want to just tell you uh, the power, uh, the significance of these. Um, Every month uh, since January, I've been going down to the Des Moines at at the Capitol where the legislators uh, meet, the House of Representatives, our our state senators uh, meet. And I go down there about once a month and I just meet with them. I pray with them. I encourage them. I talk to them uh, about bills uh, that they're working on that could, you know, benefit and affect the church. Things like religious freedom, pro-life legislation, anything that I, I see that could really benefit and and strengthen the church. I go and I talk to them. I thank them for their support. I encourage them to keep working on that. I'll pray with them. Um, And a month ago, I'd gone down there and I found out that there was a representative who serves up in Worth County. Um, Her name is uh, Representative Jane Bloomingdale. And I learned last month when I was there that she had just lost her daughter to breast cancer. And I just felt that I was supposed to go and just pray with her and encourage her and that um, I was to give her one of these bands. And so uh, I went and, and uh, when you go there, you just simply have to write out the representative's name and then you give it to the page and they go in and see if they're available and they let them know that you're out there waiting for them. And I'd never met her. She did not know me. I didn't know her. And I didn't know if she would come out um, to meet with me. And so they took it in and they came uh, out about five minutes later and said, she's on her way out. She's just visiting with some people. So if you don't mind waiting. So I said, nope, not a problem. 
And so uh, five minutes turned into 10, 10 turned into 15. And, and sometimes they're just so busy, they really don't have time to come out and meet with you. And so there were some other things I needed to be doing, um, but I was just I knew I was supposed to meet with her and I knew I was supposed to pray with her and encourage her and give her a ban. And so I just kind of kept telling the people, not now, no, I can't go. Well, we can come back. No, I, I can't leave. I know I'm supposed to meet with her. And so probably about 15, 20 minutes later, uh, she came out. Um, I introduced myself and um, I, I pointed to the band and, and I kind of began to share with her why this band was so significant for me. And I kind of started to share everything I had gone through uh, in the last year, um, how difficult that was and how I just felt like through it all, I really witnessed God's faithfulness, God's goodness, his kindness, his mercy toward me. And so I just kind of shared with her. I didn't go into a lot of detail, but enough just for her to know um, that while I've never lost a child, I know this is a very difficult time in life for you, and I can't imagine um, what you're thinking and what you're going through, but the one thing I, I want you to know is God's got this. God's got you. He's got your family. God is going to take all of this, and he's going to work it together for good. You know, I just felt like the scripture, you know, that, that um, sorrow comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning, and I said, while your family may be in a time of just great sorrow, I just believe that, that joy is coming, um, and so just shared with her everything I felt like the Lord um, had, and then I showed her the bracelet and I said, I got three of these. One of them is for me. Two of them are to give away. And I would like to give you one of these as a reminder for you that no matter what you're going through, that that band will serve to remind you God's got this. He's got you. He's got his family. And if it's all right with you, I'd like to give you one. She started shaking. And she said, yes, I would love that. Took it off. She put it on right away and, and offered to pray with her. And not everybody that you offer to pray with uh, is open to that. I mean, they're, they're, they're good with knowing you pray for them. When you're not there with them, they're good with that. But a lot of times they don't like you to pray with them on the spot. And she was just so open to prayer. And so I uh, got to pray with her. And again, this is why I'm, I'm just encouraging you. Um, take some bands with you. Just put them on. And then just ask God to begin to open doors for you just to begin to speak. There's 1,100 of these somewhere uh, in this area. Um, and, and I just believe that God is using this as, as a way for us to be out there just again to share the power of God's love. I, I know Fred um, mentioned uh, again that band. I know he mentioned it in first service again and how that was just such a great reminder as they went through everything they went through just to remember that God's got this. And so I just want to encourage you there's more out there. Uh, if you can help us um, by, by, you know, throwing some money in there so we can kind of keep ordering uh, these. I've got these down to, you know, 50 cents a band. So if you can just help us out with that, that'd be great. So we can keep ordering these, keep, you know, keep them in stock, keep giving them out. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to grab one uh, if you haven't already done that. So again, I want to just kind of really quickly talk about what I think are the three most significant things that God would want us to know about the, uh, the message, about the power, the victory of Easter. The first significance of Easter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It confirms, it validates, it authenticates his identity as the Messiah, as God among us in human flesh. Now, this is just a game changer to me. Okay, almost every world religion will acknowledge that God exists. 
And and they may kind of define that God in, in a lot of different ways, but most world religions will acknowledge in some form or another, God exists. The difference for me is it is another thing, a whole different thing to say, God exists and he came to us in human flesh. That God is not a God who is distant. God is not a God who is in heaven somewhere. God is a God who drew near, who came to earth as a human being. That is a whole different thing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the empty tomb, offers all of the proof, all of the evidence we need that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be, God in human flesh. His virgin birth there in Bethlehem, He uses that name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is born. God comes. He's born. He takes on human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. His resurrection from the dead confirms what Christmas proclaimed, that Jesus was truly God among us in human flesh. As a matter of fact, Jesus staked his identity his claims, his promises, everything he was and everything he would do all rested upon the resurrection, his being raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, Jesus foretold his own death and and he stated the evidence of his identity that he was who he said he was would be based upon his rising from the dead. The the sign of his authority, his identity, his power as the Son of God among us, Emmanuel, would be his death and then his resurrection from the dead. In the second chapter of John's gospel, you'll remember Jesus uh, is there and he clears the temple. There are money changers, people in there that are selling merchandise and Jesus drives them out and he, and he says, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so he drives the money changers out of there. And the religious leaders, they see all of this and they come to Jesus there and they say, if you have this authority, if you have this power from God, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Jesus says, all right. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They said. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in just three days? I mean, that, that would be like Jesus making the claim, you know, in Notre Dame, the cathedral that burned this last week. That, that would be, you know, the same thing there. It took years, decades to build that And you're going to rebuild Notre Dame Cathedral in just three days? It goes on and says, but by this temple, Jesus meant his body, his physical body. 
And John said after Jesus was raised from the dead, the disciples, they remembered this encounter Jesus had with the religious leaders back then. And it says they believed both Jesus and the scriptures. See, they, they didn't understand this conversation apart from the resurrection. But after the resurrection, they made that connection and they understood what Jesus meant. And another occasion in Matthew chapter uh, 12, Jesus is teaching. And again, there's some religious authorities. They come to him and they say, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove that you come or you are from God. But Jesus replied, only an evil, foolish, faithless generation would ask for a miraculous sign. He said, but the only sign I will give is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so I, the son of man, will be in the heart of of the earth for three days and three nights. Right there, you have two separate occasions where Jesus says, as they're looking for a miraculous sign, again, as proof, as evidence that he is who he says he is. He's co-eternal, co-equal with God, that God and Jesus are one, and in both cases, Jesus refers, he points back to his death and his resurrection as absolute proof and evidence of his identity as the Son of God, his position, his authority as the Messiah, the divine Son of God. And that is partly what the resurrection is all about. It is the sign, it's the proof, it's the evidence that God gives to you and I to prove that Jesus is who he claimed to be. It's as if God is saying to you and to me, if you really want to know that Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father, if you really want to know, can you put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you want this assurance that his death on the cross fully and completely satisfied God's demands and anger and wrath against sin, he said, then I'm going to prove it to you beyond any shadow of a doubt. I will raise him from the dead. That's big evidence. That's big proof. Romans Chapter 1, verse 4 confirms this. Here's what Paul writes. He says, And Jesus Christ our Lord was shown, some translations say proven, to be the Son of God. When? God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. God proves. He shows us that Jesus is the Son of God through his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is unique to Jesus only. The only thing that sets Jesus Christ apart from any other man, any other person that has ever been or will ever be, is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead just as he claimed he would be. 
those, and there were many before Jesus, there are those after Jesus who claim to be the Messiah, sent from God, the Son of God, coming to atone for the sins of mankind. There were numerous men who made that claim. And no matter how long ago they died, they're still dead. They're still in the grave. Those today and in the future, anyone else who comes to claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God, to be here to atone for the sins of mankind, when they die, they will remain in the grave. The only one who has ever died, gone into the grave, and resurrected from the dead is Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is this. I'm going to give you uh, the, 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 the Greek definition. Uh, in the, the Greek understanding, the Greek language, what the New Testament uh, is written in. And here's how the Greek language kind of understands this concept, this word resurrection. I'm going to give you their definition. When Jesus died, he went into the grave. And in the grave, it's there that he confronts death. He overcomes death. He conquers death. It says he just kind of completely swallows up death. And then he emerges. He comes out of that grave three days later, completely victorious over death. And not only that, when Jesus comes out of that grave, he came out with a body in which death was no longer a possibility. That's the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first and only one to have been resurrected from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the greatest confirmation, the greatest evidence, the greatest proof that God ever gave that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. That one thing, the resurrection separates Christianity and it makes it unique and stand apart from any other religion. No matter what the critics of Christianity say, Jesus died, but now he is alive forevermore. No matter what the critics say about Jesus, the tomb is empty. Second significance, the second impact of Easter and the empty tomb is Jesus Christ conquered and destroyed the power, the finality, and the fear of death. The power, the finality, and the fear of death. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, and here's what Paul says. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. How many of you would like to know a secret? Paul's going to give us a secret here. He says, we will not all die, but we're all going to be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. He said, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died first. And, and he's, he's writing, he's speaking to people at that time who had lost loved ones who were believers in Jesus. And they were saying, what happens to the people who died as Christians? And, and, and so this is what Paul's telling them. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died, they're going to be raised to live forever. And we who remain on the earth alive, we're also going to be transformed. He said, for our dying bodies, how many of you know you've got a dying body right now? Your, your body is decaying. 
Okay, happy Easter. Our dying bodies, they must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies, they've got to be transformed into immortal bodies. Now, I, I never really kind of understood the concept of that until one time, I will never forget this, Janie and I were in Indiana, and Janie's mom was on her deathbed. And we were in the room praying for her mom. And there were uh, uh, several of us in the room. And I, I remember being at, at her mom's bedside, just kneeling there beside the bed, and we were praying. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God fell in that room. I had never, ever experienced God's presence like that. And, and I just remember I'm kind of there and I'm whispering under my breath to, to her mom. I said, God is here. Do you, do you feel him? And she said, yes. Everybody in that room could feel. The, I mean, you talk about the atmosphere changing, the atmosphere shifting. When God came into that room, you knew God was in the room. And we were there. I had no idea what God wanted to do. We're just there, and we're just experiencing God's presence. I will never forget walking out of that room. We were absolutely drained. We could hardly walk out of that room. Matter of fact, we kind of got up there, and we were just leaning against wall. We couldn't even stand. I needed to drive back. Our, our three boys were, were very, very young. I think they were all under five, and I had to drive back to where we were staying. Um, and it was just, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I mean, I, I, could, I couldn't even stand. And all of a sudden, I realized the significance of this. What I had experienced was just a sliver of being in God's presence. There's going to come a day, folks, we're going to stand before him and we are going to be in the fullness of his glorious presence. You know what? If that happened to me now in this mortal body, in this decaying body, if I was to experience the fullness of God's glory, if you were to experience the glory, the fullness of God's glory, do you know what would happen to you? Poof. Your flesh can't handle it. That's why we have to have immortal, invincible you know, resurrected bodies. It's only in those bodies will we be able to be in his presence and not explode. So that's what, that, that just like took on all, whole new understanding to me. And he said, then when our dying bodies, I'm back to scripture, when, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then Paul kind of starts taunting death there. Listen to what he says. Oh, grave, where's your victory? I mean, you've had the victory up until now. Where's your victory? Oh, grave, oh, where is that powerful sting? For sin is the sting, Paul says, that results in death, and the law gives sin its power, but thanks be to God. He gives us complete victory over sin and death through our Lord. And the New Testament uses that title, Lord, in reference to Jesus after the resurrection. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the victory over sin and death that Paul talks about there in 1 Corinthians was accomplished when Jesus Christ victoriously arose 
from the grave. And because of his victory, those of us who put our complete faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior share in that victory. We overcome death and everything associated, everything that comes with death through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've used this story of several Easters, so if you've already heard this, I just beg your indulgence, but it's just a great story, and I feel like it really illustrates a, a great point. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Harry Houdini? Yeah, most of us have. Great magician. I mean, he was prolific um, escape artist. As a matter of fact, in 1998, Harry Houdini created what he called the Challenge Handcuffed Act. And what that was, was he offered to give anyone $100 who could build or construct a pair of handcuffs that he could not escape from. From that point forward, Harry Houdini never ever had to pay out to a single person because no one could ever build a set of handcuffs that he could not escape from. As a matter of fact, Houdini even escaped from a pair of handcuffs that had been made at England's famous Scotland Yard. Harry Houdini routinely escaped from being tied up in chairs with 50 foot of rope, from straitjackets, from giant milk cans filled with water, burglar-proof safes, an iron boiler, even a roll-top desk and padded cells. On January 1906, Harry Houdini even escaped from one of death row cells in a Washington prison that actually held the man who assassinated President James Garfield. And it seemed no matter what they tried to do, no matter what they tried to build, Harry Houdini could escape everything. Then on October 31st, 1926, death got a hold of Harry Houdini and put him in a grave that he has never, ever been able to escape. As a matter of fact, Houdini told his wife, Bess, he said, if there's any way of getting out of death's grip, if there's any way of escaping death, I will find it. And he said, if I find a way out, I'm going to contact you on the anniversary of my death. And so every year after that, on October 31st, Bess Houdini would light a light over his portrait. Every year, after 10 years, she turned out the light. Death had Houdini, and there was no escape. Death had Jesus Christ in his grip. When he died on the cross, when he was laid there in the tomb, and unlike Houdini, three days later, Jesus crushed death's power over him, and he rose from the grave victorious to never die again. The good news of Easter is you and I, we don't have to try and find a way to escape death's grip. We have a Savior who has already done that for us. The empty tomb assures me that whatever Jesus accomplished through his resurrection, we share in that by virtue of being his sons and daughters. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.15 that Jesus sets free those who were slaves all of their lives because of the fear of death. 
My guess is there are a number of you in this room this morning that fear death. You're afraid of death. There is a general, there's a universal fear that most of us, if not all of us, have when it comes to death. And there is a part of that fear of death that enslaves us. It makes us uncomfortable. If you think that's not true, the next time you get together with someone for coffee, sit down and look them in the eye and say, let's talk about death. You'll find out just how uncomfortable people are with that topic. It's just not a subject most of us want to think about, much less talk about. Because again, many of us have a fear of dying. But you see, because of what Jesus did in the resurrection, it radically changes the way a Christian should think about and approach death. For a Christian, death is simply going from this life into the glorious next life. The question for us is, can you say that you're not afraid to die because you know for certain you know where you're going when you die? That's where the fear comes from. People just have an uncertainty. They don't know what happens after death. Jesus has provided the answer, the solution to what happens to those who believe in him after physical death. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection. I am life. And he who believes in me, though you die physically, he says, yet you, you won't die. And again, it's your physical body that's going to die, but your spirit, it's going to live on forever. And the Bible teaches us we got to shed this physical body in order to get the resurrected immortal body. And again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, our dying bodies, they've got, must, they have to be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be, they have to be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, then he says the scripture is going to be fulfilled. And again, death has lost its sting. The grave has been robbed of all of its victory because of what Jesus Christ did when he was raised from the dead. Because of the empty tomb, I no longer have to fear death. You no longer have to fear death. Because Jesus, he took death. He robbed death of its victory, of its destructive power, including the fear associated with dying. The third significance of Easter, of the empty tomb, is Jesus has the power, the authority to declare my sins forgiven and that I am a new creation in Christ. You ever been halfway through a project and just wished you could just go back and start it all over again? Maybe like remodeling a room? You ever been kind of into a remodeling project and you get halfway through and man, you've made so many mistakes and you've cut so many things wrong and everywhere you look, you just kind of see all of your mistakes and you're just, oh man, I just wish I could start this project all over. Well, a lot of us approach life like that. We get halfway through life and we just see all of the mistakes, all of the failures, all of the faults. And we just want to go back and just start over. We wish that, you know, we wouldn't have said things that we did say or we wish we wouldn't have done things that we did do. 
We all have regrets. Every one of us, we, we have bad things that we've done and said. All of us deal with guilt and shame over past and present uh, events in our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus met and he ministered to many people who kind of fell into this category in their lives. People who were filled with pain and shame and guilt and unforgiveness because of their past. One such man was a paralytic man who was brought to Jesus. His friends bring him on a, on a pallet, on a stretcher, and they're going to go see Jesus because they believe Jesus can physically heal this friend of theirs. They get there, and there's just mass amount of people, crowds of people, and they're everywhere, and they cannot get through the crowd to get to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof, and they made a hole in the roof, and they lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees this man lying there on the mat, paralyzed. And, and, and Jesus knows what his immediate need is. This man wants to be healed physically. But Jesus sees something else that needs to be dealt with first. And he looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Now, there's religious people, scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law and high priests, really churchy people, and they're watching all of this. And they hear what Jesus says. And they make this observation in Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Why does this man, Jesus, speak that way? He is blaspheming, and blaspheming means you're making yourself out to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the accusation they're making, it's true. Only God can forgive sins. And the reason Jesus was able to forgive this man's sin and the sin of anyone and everyone is because Jesus Christ was and is God in human flesh who came to atone for mankind's sin. Amen. So this paralytic encounters Jesus he receives not only God's forgiveness, he's also physically healed. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ ensures that what this man received is now available to any of us who encounter Jesus. The tragedy is a lot of us know people like this paralytic man. They cannot get on with life because they're stuck. They're stuck by the past. They're paralyzed by guilt, unforgiveness, by regret, by shame, something, a sinful act or, or words that have got them anchored to the past. And, and they're running around with all of this baggage, this emotional, this spiritual baggage, trying to live life. And they're wondering, why am I not fulfilled? Why don't I feel happy? And Paul says in Colossians 2.14, he said, here's the good news. He has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt. And that again, that's our, our sin debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Jesus took my sin and your sin, my guilt, your guilt, my shame, your shame. And when he died, he canceled Every sin debt and his resurrection from the dead was proof, evidence that God's fully 
and completely accepting his death as the final complete payment for all sins, past, present, and future. That's what I call God's pardon program. Paul says Jesus took all of the sin and he nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid for all of our sin. And that means we don't have to pay for it. Jesus was hung up for our hang-ups. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross so that we don't have to nail ourselves to the cross. He was punished so we don't have to be punished by our sin. He wants to forgive and to wipe clean your past. He says he wants to cancel every record of all the debts you owe, emotional, mental, relational, I mean, spiritual debts canceled. Let me ask you this. How long do you remember a bill once you've paid it? We generally don't, do we? And we think about the bill before it's paid. Oftentimes we wonder, where am I going to get the money to pay for this thing? But generally, for most of us, once the bill's paid, it's forgotten. Well, guess what? The same is true with God. Once God's forgiven the debt of sin, once the bill's been paid, it's forgotten. That's good news. Because Jesus is who he said he was because of his victory over sin and death. My past, your past can be forgiven, can be completely wiped clean. We do not need to go around carrying a bag of guilt and shame and regret. It's not necessary. Paul says this in Romans 8.1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's two laws there. One law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it leads us to forgiveness, to no condemnation. The other law, where we try to obey the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, that leads us to a place of frustration, of death, of condemnation, because none of us can live perfect lives. Those of you who are baby boomers, you may remember this, you may have gotten this as a Christmas gift, a birthday gift, remember these? Etch-a-sketch. I mean, you could take that thing and you could draw anything you wanted to draw on there. And if you made a bunch of mistakes or you put things in there you didn't want in there, what did you do? You took it, you shook it up, and it was completely wiped clean. Romans 8, chapter 1, that is God's Etch-a-sketch Bible verse. He wants to wipe your past, your sins, your mistakes, your failures clean. You can walk out of here today knowing that every single thing you've ever done wrong up to this point is completely, totally forgiven. That's good news. That's news I can use. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus did not come to rub your sin in your face. He came to rub it out. I love what John 3.17 says. We all got John 3.16 down by memory. 
But to me, John 3.17 is just as important as John 3.16. And Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. He wants to save you, not condemn you. He wants to change you, to forgive you, to make you a brand new creation. This is why Jesus came. It's why he lived. It's why he died. It's why he rose again. This is what Easter is all about. And this can change your day or it can change your life. You decide. I want to close with three scriptures. Luke writes in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now he refers to a name. There is a name that is given. And Paul says in Romans 10, 13, and he said, it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's something about this name. It's an excellent name. It is a name which there is no other name given under heaven or earth by which mankind can be saved. And it is a name that whoever calls upon that name shall be saved. Whose name is that? Paul goes on in Romans 10 verse 9 and he says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, that is the name above all names. That is the one name given under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. It is that name, Jesus, that whenever we call on the name of Jesus, we shall be saved. And Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, when we say Jesus is Lord, it's basically just affirming everything I said. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is, he is co-equal, co-eternal with God. He is Lord. He resurrected from the dead. So he says, when you just say and call upon the name of Jesus, and you just simply say, Jesus is Lord, those three words. And then he says, and, and that you believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. That's what today is all about. When you believe in your heart that God resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation's very, very simple. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And Paul says, you know, when you do that, it's going to result in salvation. You see that? And with the mouth, he confesses. What does he confess? Jesus is Lord. And he says that results in salvation. And he says, for with the heart, a person believes. If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. He says, so with the heart, a person believes. What do you believe? I believe that God raised him from the dead. And he says, when you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from there, when you believe in the resurrection, it results in righteousness. 
Jesus is Lord. When I speak that, it results in salvation. When I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says that results in righteousness. That means I'm in right standing. I'm in good standing with Father God. And there's no condemnation. Salvation and righteousness are two greatest needs. It's going to invite you to stand this morning. And I just want to pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never, ever spoken those words. And, and it's one thing to think it in your heart. That it's important what you think in your heart. But, but Paul says what you need to think in your heart is that God raised him from the dead. And that's going to result in righteousness. But you've got to speak it. You've got to confess with your mouth. Jesus as Lord. If you've never, ever done that. The Bible says today, right now, is the day of salvation. You think, well, I can do it tomorrow. Well, there may not be a tomorrow for you. There may not be a tomorrow for the world. We never know what's going to happen. And that's why the Bible stresses today. Now is the day, the moment, the time for salvation. Don't put it off. I think part of the torture of hell is you will replay over and over and over in your mind the opportunities you were given to declare Jesus as Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you refused. And part of that torment is going to be, I should have, I should have, I should have. Why didn't I? I, I was being so prideful. I just, I, whatever. You're going to spend eternity mulling that over and over and over in your mind. That's why the Bible says today, now is the day of salvation. If you've never done that, just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you just, again, ask God to give you faith. Ask God to move your heart in a direction that you can believe that God raised him from the dead. I can't prove that to you. I can just tell you what the word says. I can just tell you what Jesus has done for me. Today is the day. If you've never done that, this morning, there are going to be people up here that would love to pray with you. That again, would just love to lead you in that prayer of salvation, to be able to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And these are people that have been where you've been, have been stuck in sin, have been bound by shame and guilt, and they know the freedom that Jesus has given them. They've experienced his goodness, his forgiveness, his mercy, and they would love to pray with you this morning. Also, if you're here this morning and you just need maybe prayer for healing, Isaiah kind of talks about this. And I'll never forget this. The one time I, I, I was singing a Christmas hymn and I came across that phrase, risen with healing in his wings. Man, that was powerful. And I understood another dimension of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was resurrected and, and he's risen with healing in his wings. And it's not just emotional, spiritual healing, it's physical healing as well. So if you're here this morning and you just need prayers for healing, we'd love to pray with you. We believe he has risen with healing available to you uh, this morning. Also, there's communion here. We invite you at any time uh, before you leave this morning. When you're ready, you can just kind of come take 
cracker, dip that in the juice this morning. We partake by intention again. This is open to all believers. Those that have made that confession, Jesus is Lord. Those people that believe that God, uh, again, has raised him from the dead. That's, that's who it's for. It's a celebration. An opportunity to say, thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. To save me, to heal me. So if that's you this morning, I just invite you whenever you're ready just to kind of come and partake of that. If you're getting, you'd like prayer, there will be people up here. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.